Welcome to episode 77 of Paws, Claws and Wet Noses, the vet podcast celebrating all creatures, great and small, and the fantabulous professionals who look after them all. I'm your show host, Julie South. Today, I am super stoked to share the chat I had with large animal veterinarian, Dr. Crispin Cannon. If you're a recent or a new vet science grad from Massey University, then regardless of where you're working in New Zealand, right now you've probably heard of or met Crispin as he's been quite involved in the Massey's MMI for vet students over quite a few years. MMI is part of the Massey Veterinary Science Pre-Selection Programme. They're the eight multi-mini interviews, MMI, multi-mini interviews, potential vet science students go through, they get asked. Crispin's been on the panel where students get to go a round of eight short, structured interviews lasting eight minutes each. He's also appeared in the September-October 2017 edition of the New Zealand Vet Association's Vet Script. If you've got a copy of that, then go to pages 28 and 29, or you can go to pawsclawswetnoses.fm episode 77, and I'll put up links for that. Crispin started working for the Veterinary Enterprises Group Limited, we know them as Vetent, straight out of Massey in December 2010 in Te Aumutu as a large animal veterinarian. In February 2019, he was appointed the Production Animal Business Manager, a position he held until mid-2021. Crispin took some time out by doing a bit of locum work until March 2022, so March of this year, before returning to Vetent to be part of its integrated solutions business development team. Crispin says that integrated business solutions is a fancy name for a focused role dedicated to understand and utilise technology solutions within veterinary practice that enhance the performance and well-being of their client businesses and animals. He's excited to begin this journey with a focus on cow wearables, which are collars and tags, the data they produce and how Vetent's veterinary teams can integrate and deliver value to their customers using this information. Today, Crispin and I talk about his MBA, which he studied for at the University of Waikato between 2017 and 19. Locuming on his OE, how he ended up as a large animal vet when he was also considering small animal surgery, and we talk about life in general. Crispin's one of New Zealand's Instagram influencers, vet.crispy, and that's crispy with a K, K R I S P Y. That's his Instagram handle, vet.crispy, so go and check him out. I'll also put the link where you can follow Crispin via Instagram at episode 77 at pawsclawswetnoses.fm so you can go there as well. Crispin and I have been talking about this episode for a while, actually probably coming up to the thick end of a year. 
I've been looking forward to it for absolutely ages. And although we did experience a minor Zoom blip, I hope that I've managed to stitch things back together okay without it causing too much of a jump cut experience for you. We kick off this chat with Crispin telling me when he knew veterinary medicine was for him. An old vet told my father when he was a student in Glasgow, he said, uh, if you want to be a success in veterinary practice, just keep the bowels open and trust the rest to God. Nutrition's not an opinion, it's a science. They called me that weird herbal needle vet, and I I just remember thinking, well, I'm still going to do it, because I know it works, and I've got the research to back it. From reminiscences of the real James Herriot's son, to pet nutrition, to acupuncture. The Vet Podcast discusses current animal health issues from around the world. I'm veterinarian Brian Gregor from New Zealand. Just search for The Vet Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. My earliest memory is probably when I was seven years old, randomly. I don't know how I know, I know that. But yeah, that's when I did. My um, my mum used, used to be a vet. Well, she still is a vet. She's a mum and all of that now and a grandma. And we used to always look after little pets or anything like that that she kind of brought home or we found and things like that. And right from that young age, it was something that I cared about and it all started like every other vet probably to care for animals. Because it's not just you and your family, not just you and your mum who are vets. My little brother followed suit. What? You you went through Massey, then what? You got a job in New Zealand and then you went overseas? Yep. It was that, well, it's a classic Kiwi vet thing to do after a couple of years, go and expand your horizons. A fair few of my mates had done it, a fair few of the guys who were senior vets in our business, directors of the business had kind of done that. And it always appealed to me to kind of, a adventure, go see the world, but at the same time, like I love. Well, you know, you know that Julie. Like I love vetting, and so I was like, well, if I can vet in another country or a couple of countries, have a ball doing that, learn some stuff, being the high achiever I want to be, <laughs> I'll go and do that, earn some money that I can travel on. When did you know you wanted to be a large animal vet as opposed to companion? funny you you say that because I want to say I kind of always thought about working outdoors I love the freedom of that and being on the road and seeing the countryside and working with large animals from a kid but then when I went to I had two job applications I put in at the same time one was to do an internship in surgery up in Auckland for veterinary specialist group and the second was to be a large animal vet in Taumutu. The only thing that kind of strangely defined where I ended up was that the Taumutu position closed and was offered to me before the, the small animal surgery internship. Have you and ever- I know most normal people would say, oh, well, what should you have waited for something? But no, I didn't. I said, yep, love it. I'm into it. No and regrets? That's where it went. Absolutely not. Well, I can't, I can't imagine the other way, so that's probably also helpful. 
So you've got a couple of years under your, your belt here in God's own. Hmm. Then you decided that you wanted to do the Kiwi thing and get your OE, do your OE. What did you do? Which, how did you decide that you were going to go overseas? I think the first step was that I was like, well, I am going to work overseas and I'd like to work in whether it's Scotland, England or Northern Ireland. So I think the part that started it all off was connections here who had worked over there and suggested places of practice that would suit, fit, get your, you know, foot in the door. I was lucky enough to start, and I want to do large animals. Like that's also it. I really want to do large animals practice. So Synergy is a large animal practice over there, Somerset. One of our shareholders put me in contact with them and I forwarded an email and said, hey, would you like a Kiwi vet to fill some gaps? I heard you're a good practice. So that's how that's how that one started. And then from there, like once I was there, I said, oh, well, okay, I worked there for quite a few months and then said, oh, look, be nice to trial something in Northern Ireland. So. Once again, it was through contacts and people we kind of knew and went there and then south of Scotland was the other one. So that's how it kind of started. And the moment I landed that first, you know, it's, it, I think the scary thing is you don't want to end up in your first locum job and be terrible. <laughs> well, that was my view. So you and your wife went? Yeah. What differences did you find working in New Zealand to Somerset? <laughs> Apart um, from the accent that you probably couldn't understand. So, so, so good. From my, my view, like, I, I'll, I'll say the similarities and then the differences because the similarities, like, there's heaps, you know, kind of as a large animal vet, the, you deal with the same kind of diseases. Yeah, there's a couple of extras and you see more, more commonly over there, whether it's like, you know, E. coli mastitis or LDAs or RDAs or things like that. There's a lot of crossover with diseases, firstly, easy as. Drugs, very easy to like learn. And there's not too many things outside of just saying, Crispin, can you turn up and be a vet in England? 100%. And I'd say the other way around, like, you know, English, Irish or Scottish, like, do you want to come over here and be a locum and do you think you can be a vet over here? 100%, hands down, easy as. The differences, uh, like my take is for working, is so subtle. You're just like tweaking your brain to be like, oh, well, they're a seasonal pasture-based system in New Zealand. So, yes, I'm going to pre-test a couple of hundred cattle for about three or four, a couple of thousand if you're down south for three or four months. I'm going to just carve and do carving-y stuff for three or four months versus over there you'd turn up to a job and you'd have Everything in New Zealand, that's the whole year round. So you might carve a cow, you might go and do an LDA surgery, you might go and do a lame cow, you might go and do some non-cyclic checks because they're more all year round. Did you meet any other Kiwi vets while you were there? Did you work with any more? Any others? Yeah, yeah loads. It kind of happened to be. Like, I think what for me was neat. So my little brother had gone over vetting there a couple of months before I got there. Uh, a mate of mine who was at the same practice had gone over a month or two before. So those were the main kind of ones 
that we just tripped around and just happened to be in in the UK kind of at the same time, which was so which was fantastic. So it was my little brother and his wife, my mate from vet here and his wife and then me and my wife. And just, you know, all doing our own kind of things around the place. But yeah, it was neck. We'd always meet up, do holidays together, do our own thing. Yeah. How did you find setting yourself up as a vet? Because in New Zealand, to work here, you know, you've got to get an IRD number. You've got to have a bank account number. You've got to prove that you're not money laundering now. There's just this all this compliance. Was it like that back then? Yes, but – oh, like, like as in over in the UK? Oh, it was, but through, once again – people who'd been there or businesses who'd been there, it was just catching the right people or businesses to help you through that. Like, honestly, there's this, the accountants that we had, they were the, they were the ones who kind of helped us set it all up and start off with it. And then there was the Royal Vet College and doing that little bit. So it was just the biggest thing was really the companies or the locum agency setting up part of it and then also um the Royal Vet College registration stuff. But outside of that, yeah. It was just I think the trickiest thing was just deciding over there was like what you wanted to be. Did you want to be a company, an umbrella company, do it through a locum agency, get them to do it, do it on your own. Just those kind of little nitty-gritty bits. But it was through kind of honestly like either word of mouth or people had been there. You're the first largies vet that I have chatted with that's worked overseas and listening to you it sounds like it's you know like you said there's more similarities and there are differences Hmm. whereas when I've talked with companion animal vets that have done it or or British or Irish vets that have come to New Zealand there's been a bit of a culture difference because I think it's changing in New Zealand now but it's still not quite the same Animals are, fur babies are part of the family in the UK. Yeah. But they're not so much that here, although it's changing. You know, pet insurance isn't in New Zealand like it is in the UK. So, I, yeah, it's interesting that they're not that level of differences with production animals. No, and I think probably... That would be a, a, f- a fair fair comment, and I think it's just this. If you wanted to be picky, it's probably just the scale that's like a little bit, a little bit different. But over there, they've got two thousand cow herd home farms, right down to you know thirty cow farms. So probably the variation you see is probably more there than you would here for the level of individual care that they would give animals over there in those smaller herds versus the bigger kind of herd homes and all of that that they kind of have versus here you yes you might be lucky enough to work at a part of New Zealand where you know the average herd size is 300 but that's kind of for particular areas in, in New Zealand versus 400 500 or 800 further south. Did you meet many apart from those that already knew about New Zealand that you worked with here before you left did you meet many vets who had a dream to come and work down under? Oh, yeah, I think I think most vets that we came across over there 
would have yeah would say they'd love to come this way at some stage we'd love to get over here and do some locum work or see what new zealand's like i think you know new zealand large animal practice is kind of well just new zealand in itself is probably held in high regard as a place to to come over here let alone do vet work over here except the money and the perks you would have noticed the difference with the money that you were earning and the additional bits that you got as a large animal locum vet in the UK compared to New Zealand. Yeah, and probably the cost of living added to that, I'd say. Or the fact that you can get 30p tomatoes or a dinner for two for £6 from Tesco's. <laughs> so you're, you're £280 a day or £320 a day goes a pretty pretty long way. Plus um, the house, plus the vehicle. Definitely the accommodation was a biggie, over, like was amazing there. And I guess I don't, yeah, I guess over here, I thought most of the time they, they got accommodation as part of it, but probably not. Not always. Yeah, not always. more so for largies. And a vehicle, definitely not. Well, most oh, probably yeah. not for companion animal vets. Companion yes. animal locums. That'd be fair. So for large, like uh, from a largey's lens, like I, I would have been like, oh, I thought, yeah, you know, they get vehicles over here, but that's yeah, to do their job do, and stuff like that yeah, and yeah. potentially a place to, to stay. But, yeah, I can imagine smallies, yeah, definitely wouldn't get a vehicle. But then in saying that, like, you know, when I did four weeks as my final stint in Luton for all my sins of smallies, I didn't get a vehicle, but I got a flat. And what year are we talking, Crispin? Oh, what was it, 2016, 17, 18? So not that far, not that long ago. No, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, pretty sure. My my brother was also, like, we all bought cars over there. Hey, they were cheap and we could just run them into the ground, but they did smallies and I don't think they got, got vehicles. But I think you're right. I think the living situation, you're always cr- crammed in above a clinic or... <laughs> Yeah, and the little Dobby closet somewhere, or, or there's a, a the equivalent of a V Dub combi that you just pass from one vet to the next. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My little brother stayed for about five weeks in the caravan while working in smallies, so that was awesome. <laughs> what would you do different if you were doing it now? I stayed there for longer. Yeah, and and to expand on that, I think what was tricky is like I. Oh, I loved the locum life. I loved seeing the world and smashed so many countries and did so many things. But I think the trickiest thing was that kind of you always knew you wanted to go home and you always knew that home was just kind of, kind of doing its own thing and still in one place. And you know that you had to turn back to your life, your, your real life here. How long were you away for? 18 months. Did you pick up any accent? No, but I heard a fair few, which was kind of great. <laughs> the, de- the, the deep south of England, the south of Scotland, and the northern Irish, you know, right up the top. Fantastic. I am a Londoner by birth. And when I, I did my primary schooling in London, my secondary in New Zealand, and then I did my OE in my 20s. I'm a Cockney by birth, and it's not a very nice place 
it's not it's it's not a nice place to be to admit to being born in. The accent is pretty bad. I worked really hard when we came to New Zealand to drop the Cockney because it was so pretty, pretty ugly. When I did my OE, I was working in the West End, and it didn't take long for my East End to come out. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was not the done thing at all. I, I used to shock myself. I yeah, this this Cockney would come out of my mouth. And it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I think, oh, I think if you said what was the, the, my biggest challenge when it came to kind of all that, like your, your accents was um, like being on call. The call's at one, two, three, four, five in the morning and someone was telling you what's going on and you'd be half asleep trying to make it out. And my, I think after a month of being there, I, I remember just thinking like saying, that's great. What's your postcode? Didn't have a clue what I was turning up to. But as long as I had the postcode, which is easy to understand, I got there and then worked the rest out. But it made me laugh, you know? And I think kind of we were the something else that sprung to my mind, Julie, was that over there they love Kiwi vets coming because, you know, it's just you go there, you get on with the job, you do it. And there's that like can do attitude. And that's what a lot of them did actually say that they just enjoyed people just turning up, ready to kind of work and work well, and was unfazed with what was chucked at them. You knew you were a locum and you knew you were there to kind of work and fill a gap. So you just did that and made it, made a meal off it. And I think, what would I say for people coming the other way? I'd say that's exactly the same as the way our vet businesses kind of view locums coming in you're definitely in need we definitely need you but we love having you know irish vets kiwi vets scottish vets to come and locum with us and the teams love it like we've actually got two irish vets who started with us today super pumped about that this high achiever when did the idea for the mba hit you like a bolt of lightning I think it was when I came back from overseas and got back in practice and thought, well, actually, what what next? What am I missing? Do I want to broaden up my skill set? Do I want to narrow my skill set? And narrow my skill set, I mean, like, specialise. What, what, where do I want to be in 10 years' time? And... What's the, this is my thing. What's the quickest way that I can get there? And, you know, I love, I love the business component. I love thinking about things at a holistic level. Like I'm being a vet, but you're part of a business. Yeah. Cost always comes into it. You know, you've got to run a business, but part of that is being an empathetic vet. So all of those challenges. And I just needed to, understand all the details and then kind of form a picture so that's why you know i looked at the mba and talked to a few people and said well that's what i'm going to go down because it's a broad brush stroke across all the disciplines that you have in business by no means am i a specialist in any of those but i can understand them i can talk to them and i can hold a conversation with someone 
a challenging conversation with someone in any of those spaces. And if I don't know something, I know where to kind of go to find that out. So for me, that's, that's why I took that up, that challenge. Apart from the fact that it was real hard work, what was the biggest surprise, the biggest, hardest surprise? I learned to love it, but that everything is grey. What does like that in, mean? Like in vet school, like that muscle attaches to that one point, that nerve is called that. You A plus B equals kind of C. and I don't know. I, and it's weird. Everyone else must be normal and be like, oh, what, what else did you expect, Crispin? But for me, I was just like, there's no rote learning. There's digesting and digesting and putting back your thoughts. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow vet.crispy on Insta if you haven't already. And likewise, we'd love to connect with you via Insta as well. You can find us at vetstaff.nz, where we try to make it as much as behind-the-scenes social as we can with what the Vet Staff team's been up to each week and or each day. So we are vetstaff.nz on all the social platforms. Well, all Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. Remember to, and Insta, remember to tune in again next week because I'll be sharing a case study with you. Probably weekly, I get a call from a vet or a nurse asking me what they should, and I use should in air quotes, what they should be getting paid because they think that they're, or they're wondering, they're questioning whether they're falling behind what their peers are earning and or because they haven't had any kind of pay increase in quite a while, if ever. In many cases, the vet or the nurse is ready to leave and go locoming because they think the pay's better. Now, it's not always. And if you are thinking of being a locum, then go check out the first three episodes of Pause Claws Wet Noses.fm because those three episodes are dedicated to what it's like to actually be a locum and is it for you. What is better for locums is that they are being paid by the hour for the hours that they work as opposed to a fixed salary regardless of hours worked. And after talking for a bit, in most cases, the vets or nurses actually like where they work and don't want to leave, which is great news for their clinic. And when that's what they want to do, they want to stay, but they want to negotiate a pay rise, then that's where I come in. Because over the years, I've helped quite a few vets and nurses negotiate a pay rise such that they end up staying and thoroughly and feeling more respected where they are. So next week, I'll be sharing a couple of these case studies with you. So if that's you, you think you deserve a pay rise, but you don't know how to go about it, then hopefully after listening next week, you'll have a better idea of where to start. This is Julie South signing off and inviting you to go out there and be the most fantabulous version of you that you can be. Until next time, kakiti anu, God bless.